Advent season, and it falls a little different, I won't say strange, but it falls a little different this year with Christmas uh, Eve falling on a uh, Sunday, and so the liturgical calendar has us uh, wrapping Advent up this year on Christmas Eve, and so uh, as we're kind of lighting candles, we'll light uh, the final candle and the Jesus candle on the same day, and so it's a little bit unique how it falls this year with it being uh, on the calendar, but regardless, we've been walking through Advent together, and, uh, and hopefully you've leaned in the Advent season. We've been doing this uh, for the last four years. Hopefully you personally are leaning in. There's a lot of great devotionals and uh, so much uh, depth that we can go into in, in this season because it's rich. It's, it's a time where uh, it can be easy for us to check out and just coast uh, through, the, through the rest of the year, through the season. And, and I certainly have one of my kids doing that in school. Uh, and so uh, I won't tell you which one, but uh, we don't want to do that with the Lord. This is a rich season for us to lean in and go, uh, we're not just going to limp out of this year, but I want to finish strong. Uh, and I want to finish with us being encouraged and lifted up because what I know about this season is that it can be really hard. And in fact, I would argue that uh, for all of us at some level, there's challenge. Uh, it may not be uh, as big of a challenge as others, but we all have some challenges. It's a tough year. Every year's a tough year. And the older I get, and, and I am getting older, I know I look like I'm anti-aging, but I am getting older, and the older I get, the more I realize that there's so many problems. And life is almost all, well, life is all about Going from problem to problem, I, I thought as a kid, I was so naive that you would have a problem and solve it and move on. And as, uh, you know, a t- 15, 20, 18, whatever, I'm like, that's just, you just get problems every now and then, but it's not. Life is all about problems. And yet for us, if we'll trust in God, we'll find that he's with us in the midst of those problems. And the darker things get, the lighter the light of Christ is. And, and that's why we light lights in this season for hope and love and joy and peace. These things that we receive from Christ when we align our lives with him. And we see God's light light in our lives. And it begins to illuminate dark spaces and, uh, and brings hope and joy and peace and, and love into our hearts if we'll allow it to. And so this season is a rich time for us as a church, as, as followers of Christ, to take inventory of our life, to ask God to meet us where we are, to feel what we're feeling. If you're happy, great. If you're not, we want you here. We want to feel what we're feeling. And then allow God to meet us in those feelings. And so today we talk about joy. Which is an interesting, um, I guess, aspect of the Advent season because joy is somewhat of an obvious feeling this time of the year. Uh, But what happens more often than not is we get joy and happiness confused. So for a lot of us, we're just, we're super excited, but we realize that it's probably happiness and not joy when we dive into it. Because a lot of us are worn out. The, The title specifically today is Weary World Rejoice. The line from a song that reminds us that first and foremost, I think a lot of us are worn out. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I am, I'm worn out. I think as a society, we're worn down. And as I look forward and the, the, the futurist in me looks kind of forward into 24, I realize it's an election year. And we barely survived the last one, right? So we're worn out, we're worn down, none of us are real happy, and we're looking forward and we're going, we got to do this again. And it's hard. And what I've found to be true in my life and and in the lives of people around me is that when we're at our worst and we're worn down, we tend to set joy aside. Joy often feels like a luxury, doesn't it? Like going to the spa or, uh, you know, a nice meal. It's like you don't have to have it. 
It seems like a luxury. And yet, what I believe is that joy is actually an essential. It's an essential uh, element for our lives, for us to uh, be mentally well. We need joy. But so many of us settle for happiness. And the question I think that we all need to answer today, not audibly, but when you're alone, is what would it take for you to feel joy? We rarely articulate what it is that we want or even need. We just know that we don't feel it, right? We, we know we do feel it and when we don't feel it, but rarely do we go, this is what I'd like in order to feel joy that many of us have never tried to define what we need. But what I do realize as well is that joy is a choice. The world is rarely, if ever, going to give us a reason to consistently be joyful. So we have to choose joy. We have to decide in rooms like this and in moments like this with people like us that we're going to be people who choose to pursue joy where we don't allow it to just come when it wants to and leave when it desires. And when we live like that and operate like that, we're miserable. And we're hoping for a a moment of joy, almost like joy addicts where we just want that bump. i got to go chase another and chase another. And this season, it's really easy to chase a feeling of happiness. There's a lot of things you can do and lights you can see and songs you can put on and movies you can watch. And there's a lot of things you can chase to feel a feeling. Because we're people who want experiences. We're people who want feelings over substance many times. And and we settle for the immediate over the eternal. And, And so a lot of us go chasing joy like a drug. It's a feeling. And yet what God wants to do is he wants to settle our hearts. He wants to calm our spirits. He wants to slow us down. Joy is not something we have to chase after. It's actually something we can experience on a regular basis if we'll just trust that God is with us and and near us and stop looking at joy like a a roller coaster where it's high and then we know we're going to have to come back down and we got to go back up and come back down. And so many of us live like that, up and down, up and down. That's happiness, though. Happiness is that feeling you feel right before you need to feel happy again. But joy is like the tires on your car. When one of them's a little low, your car rides a little funny. You do that long enough, it starts to wear your tire. you got to buy new tires. Now you're out a couple hundred bucks. What joy does is it keeps us stable. It keeps us moving. And what I believe God wants to do this season is he wants to meet you in your weariness. He wants to find you where you are and what you're going through. And he wants to bring about a stability and a trust in him through hope and love and joy and peace. He wants to bring that calm to our souls. And this week is probably going to be crazy for a lot of people. And I pray, literal prayer, that all of your Christmas shopping is done because you do not want to go out in this madness and shop because it's crazy. If you want to lose joy and hope for humanity, then go shopping this week. It's it's hard. But what I believe is that it can be easy for us to get caught up in the experience and the hype and the feeling and not actually settle with what we're going through. And God can meet us where we are if we'll just slow down. That the joy that the Bible speaks of isn't fuzzy or giddiness, but it's the stability. And and I don't know about you, but stability feels like a really calming word for me. I don't just need like a bump and a hype and a, oh, that was great. We have enough of those and I can build those and you can, you know, go do things you enjoy and watch movies you like and feel that bump. But I want something stable. I want something consistent. And we have a lot of happy people, but happiness fades when the season ends or the meds wear off or whatever that looks like for us. And I don't just want happiness in my life, but I want the stability of joy, the joy of the Lord. Actually knows that navigating life is challenging and that negativity and hardship is part of life. And yet joy in the Lord says that life is hard, but there's someone who understands your hardship and he'll meet you in the midst of it. 
if you'll meet him there. And so joy is actually a superpower for us if we realize it. Once we tap into it and we experience it and we start to realize that it doesn't come from something we have to go and do. We don't have to manufacture it. But it actually is a gift to us that we've been given. We just have to open up and, and, and put to use. Then we find that it's a superpower. And I believe that this time of the year is an opportunity for you and I to connect to the source of joy, source of everlasting joy, not, not momentary joy. And so many of us fail to experience joy because honestly the means to achieve it is kind of ordinary. If, if we lay our lives down and walk with Christ, it can kind of feel mundane and monotonous. And if you've been following Christ for a long time, you realize it's kind of ordinary. There's the long obedience in the same direction. The consistency of laying our lives down and letting God lead us is, uh, can be ordinary sometimes. We want something that we can manufacture and do and, and create and pay for. And we want to have control over it. And God says, if you'll just let go of control, is actually when you'll find the joy of the Lord. And in Matthew 2, we find a group of men called the wise men. And as we look at the nativity scene and the major characters, and we realize that most nativity scenes are kind of a, a hodgepodge of, you know, you got shepherds and you got all kinds of animals that probably weren't even in the region at that time in that season. And you have sh- uh, wise men and angels. And we just kind of shove it all in in our Hobby Lobby nativity scenes that we put up. And the reality, though, is that each character, each aspect of the nativity scene is actually quite fascinating. They have their stories of their own and and how God moved in their hearts and led them to where they were. And the wise men are no exception. The Greek word for wise men is magi, which is where we get uh, our our term magician. Uh, The etymology of magician is magi. And it comes from uh, these interesting characters. And in Matthew 2, we see they're introduced to the Jesus story. Matthew 2, 1 says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of the king Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born at king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And there's a lot of mystery around the Magi. and I, I like the Magi a lot. I think they're fascinating characters. Most uh, theologians believe that they were traveling up to 900 miles over 40 days to go look for Jesus. And what we know about the men through scripture and through, uh, through a lot of theology is that uh, they see a star in the sky. And the scriptures tell us that they saw something that was interesting and unique to them. And we don't know exactly why or how, but they knew that it was leading them to Jesus. And they were magi. So what's interesting is that their story was actually not the right story. They weren't, weren't from the right religion. They weren't from the right region. They weren't supposed to be a part of the Jesus narrative. They were followers of Zoroasterism uh, from the region uh, we know of as Iran. And, and these guys, they believed uh, in a different mythology and they believed in a different God. And yet, they were alchemists. Rumor is that they could turn common elements into precious elements through magic. They could do things like turn regular elements into gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the Magi were not looking to the scriptures to learn about Jesus. They weren't looking to the Bible. They weren't looking to uh, the religious elite or the priests. They were looking to the sky, that they were astrologers. And so they're used to looking up to the heavens. Estella has, uh, my daughter has an app on her phone uh, where she can find all the stars and track the stars. And so in the evening, she'll pull her phone out and, and, and go around, you know, the house and kind of move it. And she's like, oh, there's the moon. And I'm like, well, we can look outside and see the moon. But she likes to use the app. And so uh, she'll go, and you can see all of the constellations. 
And she's become fascinated with, with looking at the different shapes and, and all the different things. And, and these guys, they didn't have any technology. They were mapping the heavens. They were charting the, the stars. And they were looking up into heaven. And they began to realize something was shifting. Something was different. Something had changed. See, I think the only way that you and I can know if something has changed is if we have a grasp on what is now. If they didn't know what the heavens had looked like, they weren't charting the stars and, and looking to the heavens, they wouldn't have known that there was a different star. I mean, have you guys seen different stars? If you're not looking up all the time, stars come and go. They fade and, and whatever. And in our own lives, we can't tell when something's shifting, if we're not in tune, if we're not aware. Many times God wants to lead and move, but because we're not watching, because we're not keeping track, we don't know. We don't know when God is pulling or tugging because we're not looking. And for the Magi, they saw the star because that's where they were looking. But the reality is we're all people of signs. We're people who are led and guided by signs. Signs dictate and direct what we do and when we do it and where we go and, and how we go. And we look at stop signs and bathroom signs and we look at all of the signs in our lives that help us. We also look at practical signs, nonverbal signs, voice inflection. We're all sending signs. You're sending stuff now, you don't realize it. Your face is sending me a message. You're with me, you're not with me, you're thinking of lunch, whatever. Reality is, I'm sending you signs. Uh, I'm here, and you know, I'm moving my hand. We're, we're sharing in, in, in this weird, nonverbal uh, communication because we're people of sign. We need signs to be led Otherwise, we get led astray, and there are signs that are important, there are signs that are less important, and, and, and we're picking up and sending out things. We're designed in such a way that signs guide our lives. They have a way of communicating something powerful, even if the sign itself is mundane. A stop sign might be the most mundane thing. You see 10 or 20 of them coming here. Hopefully, if you're not on your phone, you're seeing stop signs, and yet they're powerful. If you've ran one, you understand the impact that sometimes the most mundane things have the most power. They could shape and move us if we're watching, if we're willing. And, and, and what we do is we often find that what we're looking for is more important than what we're looking at. A lot of us project onto these signs what we want. So if you're here and you think that your life is miserable, if you think that uh, you're cursed or God has abandoned you or you think everything's uh, falling apart in your life, then everything that happens around you is going to reinforce that. You can get a bill in the mail. It doesn't matter that you've gotten a reimbursement check from insurance. you got a bill. And so you go, this is my life. Go figure. And what happens is we get caught up in what we're looking for, not what we're looking at. And so we start to see our lives as a mess, and it makes us miserable. We don't experience joy because we've created this narrative that we're not able to feel joy or that life is against us. And everything, you can wake up and go, well, it's gloomy again today. I do this a lot. This is me personally. I'm just confessing here. Uh, it's gloomy again today. Of course it's gloomy. I'm probably going to be sad. And, and all of a sudden we start focusing on all the wrong things. And we don't experience joy when God wants to shift our focus, not for what we're looking for, but what we're looking at. What is in front of you? What has he done for you? This is a beautiful time of year to take inventory. How many blessings have you received from God? Every good and perfect thing comes from heaven above. With him there's no variation, there's no shadow. It's all good. So when we start to look at the good, we begin to see God working among us. And we start to experience joy. We stop focusing on all the things we don't have. We start focusing on what God has already done. That seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Trusting that God is good and he's done well and he's doing good in your life. 
starts to help us shape our narrative. Well, maybe God loves me. Look what he's done for me this year. And in Matthew 2, verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this news, he was deeply disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. So here we have the wise men who have seen the sign. They got excited. They're going to go looking for Jesus. Here Herod hears the exact same information, and it evokes a sense of anger and maybe a little bit of fear. The wise men heard the information and got excited. Herod heard the information. He was deeply disturbed. And I think that speaks to a lot of us, that we all process information differently. When we see something or hear something, maybe you watched a movie and the same person saw the same movie and they're like, that was the worst I've ever seen. The next person's like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe the director did that and on and on because we all receive things differently. If we're expecting our joy to come from our own efforts, then the message of Jesus is actually going to be seen as a threat to your uh, desire to manufacture joy. If you feel like you can experience joy if you work harder or you make more friends or you make more money or whatever, then you're going to see the message of giving up, surrendering your life to Christ as a threat to your reality. Anything that goes against our brain's preconceived ideas of how life should be will always be perceived as a threat. Fight or flight comes in, we reject it, we run from it, or we attack it. And, and a lot of us operate that way many times where Jesus comes in and he says, I want you to surrender your life. This should create excitement in us. There's someone who's more capable of leading my life than I am. And for Herod, he heard this and it made him upset that the sign that the wise men saw, it, it actually created great expectation the hope of a savior. They didn't fully understand Jesus and the story of Jesus, but they knew something was shifting. Something was drawing them in, and their joy in the arrival of a savior was so great, it drove them to go looking for him. That they were anxious to embrace Jesus, not even knowing if Jesus would embrace them back. They weren't from this region. They weren't from this religion. They were worshiping other gods. They were still looking to the stars. They didn't know if Christ would accept them, but the joy of something unique and different and beautiful, the hope and the promise of something more, drove them where Herod saw Jesus as a threat. The wise men saw Jesus as an opportunity. I think for us, when we hear the message of Jesus and the joy and the love and the hope and the peace that come through him, we can see it as a threat to our identity, threat to who we are, we can see it as an opportunity, an opportunity to lean in. At this time of year, we get caught up parties and lights and, and movies and, and, and music and buying gifts, and we think that that's the point. We think that they're the source of joy when in reality they're merely a sign, they're a star pointing us to something different. And a lot of us move through this season focusing on all of those things while missing the reality that those things are a means to a better end. They want to point us to a joy that's everlasting when those things fade on December 26th or whenever you take your tree down. We don't get left empty. One of the saddest Sundays, I have to really hype myself up and, 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 and I need you to help in this, is the, the Sunday we take all the trees down and we come in and the stage is kind of empty and there's no greenery and no lights. And, and it's like, oh man, it just feels, even in my house, nobody writes Christmas songs about taking down decorations. That's a wide open market for somebody because you got to have something to play, you know, when you're doing that. That's not fun. Nobody likes it, putting it all away. There's a sadness that seeps in much deeper than, than on the surface where we go, what's next? What are we going to look forward to? Well, we have Valentine's Day. That's not great for a lot. I mean, there's just things that we try to keep reaching for. And I think God wants to meet us in those moments. The question that we have to ask is, are we looking at something or are we looking for someone? 
And if the reason we're happy or, ex- or joyful this season is because of all the things that we see, then those are going to go and we're not going to have happiness. Are we looking at our circumstances or are we looking at the one that controls our circumstances? There's a God who's bigger than what we experience and go through. And as humans, we're always going to have a problem. We run from problem to problem, but God meets us in those problems. And there are opportunities for us to begin to see God at work in real time. I was having a conversation with Estella on the couch last night about Santa Claus and uh, whether or not we believe in Santa Claus. And uh, so uh, she's checked that box uh, a, a while ago. But uh, reality is we're having this conversation. She says, uh, well, I don't believe. And, and I said, okay. I said, but do you believe in the wind? Or I said, why don't you believe? And she said, I don't see him. And I said, do you believe in the wind? And she's like, well, yeah. I said, do you believe in God? Well, yeah. Why? Because you see the effects. You see the effects of the wind. You see the effects of God that, that many times we have to believe before we see. And a lot of us are so caught up in what we see and your situation might be dire. And you might be waiting this or waiting that and, and you might be dire. And if we focus on that, then we miss the point that God wants to do something unique in our lives through these problems. Whatever you're going through, Watch and see how God wants to meet us there. But as humans, we're always going to have some problem. We shouldn't ask for a problem-free life. In fact, I don't know a single human that has a problem-free life. I mean, even the wealthiest people in in our world have problems. We shouldn't ask for a problem-free life. We should ask for a better problem, right? I mean, these wealthy people have problems with all their money, right? They have a better problem than those of us that don't have money. We shouldn't ask for no problems. We ask for better problems. God, show me what you're doing. Show me what issues you want to resolve in my life and how you can learn and grow in my faith in the midst of those because our joy is not found in the season, but the season is a sign pointing us to the source of our joy. These things are signs pointing us to something deeper. And if you go back and trace the history of lights and trees and why we do this, it's because we were taking back a pagan festival to point people to Jesus. That this season should lead you and I to go searching for a deeper reason to celebrate. That there's something more that's happening beyond the surface in this time of the year. We actually can look deeper at the signs and go, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to teach me? And you may be going through a difficult and dark season. But let even the difficult moments be a sign to you that Christ is for you and he's with you. And there's so much joy that can be found. But what happens is we settle for distractions. Love distractions. Uh, I've become a little more aware of my time and what I lend it to this season because I want things to slow down. I want this to be the longest week of our lives. I just want everything to slow down, pump the brakes, pause. But I've noticed that if I find myself on my phone a lot, my time goes faster. Oh, it was 20 minutes went by. I didn't, didn't even know what happened. I noticed there's things that I do in my life that eat my time up, and, and they're distractions. And a lot of us chase those things because we don't want to feel. We don't want to feel what we're feeling, loneliness or, or, or sadness or whatever. And so we chase things. They're joy killers. We chase distractions. And joy is a choice to pursue the things that matter the most. The things that bring us health and and life. But we do this when we become uh, miners. When we become miners of joy. Where you and I literally dig into the recesses of our life to mine for joy. And it's covered in all the muck and the mire. And it's covered in all the distractions and the junk that we've allowed into our lives. But there's joy there somewhere. If we'll dig it out. There's good in your life somewhere. You may have to look deep. It may have been a hard year for you. But there's joy. There's reasons to be joyful. And you may have had a really challenging year, but you're breathing. You're above the ground. You're here today. There are things that we can focus on that help us be reminded that we all have something to be thankful for. And the simplest recipe for joy is to stop and recognize what's all around you. 
Just stop and realize what's here. You're, you're here. God has blessed you in ways that you probably haven't even contemplated. And in Matthew 2, 9, it says, after hearing, the king, the magi, went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen in the east, and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. Beyond measure. There was no measurement for the joy that they were experiencing. They were overjoyed beyond measure. There's no joy like the joy of discovery. Discover something beautiful. I was uh, on Main Street the other day with Estella, and I came across uh, Insomnia Cookie. It's been here a while, but I stumbled in and uh, walked in, and, uh, and, and they had a cookie that I could eat. I, I have some dietary restrictions, and, and they had this beautiful, wonderful chocolate chip cookie that was just baked perfectly, and, and, and I was overjoyed. I was probably more excited than I should have been, uh, but for somebody who doesn't eat or get a lot of desserts, uh, I was overjoyed beyond measure because there's something Wonderful about discovery. That for the Magi, they discovered the birth of Jesus and they were overjoyed beyond measure. That joy always precedes praise. I ate that cookie and I ate it faster than I'm willing to admit. I ate it quick. And I went, wow, that was good, right? You eat a good meal, you experience great friendship and conversation. That was good. That was great. Joy always precedes praise. When we experience the overjoy beyond measure, Praise follows. That even with lesser joys like a cookie or, or a good meal, we find that joy precedes praise. So how much more excited should we be about the good news of Jesus Christ? And how much more should we praise Christ this time of the year? And I love the phrase, overjoyed beyond measure. And I want that. I want that for me and my family. And, and I want that for you and our community and our city, I really want that for our country, or love it for the world. I mean, who doesn't want joy for everyone? But I, I want this for us. I want us this week to, to feel overjoyed beyond measure. And it's not because you got the right gift and your kid loved it. They're going to like the box better anyway. It's not because you got the right gift and you uh, put it to use. It's not because we have the right party or you had the right outfit for the party or whatever. I want us to be overjoyed beyond measure because Christ has already given his life for you and I. That we have Jesus. If we have nothing else, we have Jesus, and that's enough. And as we look at the nativity scene and we see all the major players, we realize that everyone that's there was vital to the story of Jesus. Shepherds and the wise men and the angel, and, and, and we feel that this is an important moment in history. And We've been telling the story of Jesus for uh, thousands of years, passing it down generation after generation. And, and we know the story, and we know the players, and we know the people that made it. But what's always interesting to me and, and, and sad to me is that if you look at the story of Jesus, and you look at our nativity scene, you realize that there were uh, a lot of people there that shouldn't have been there. The, the magi, they shouldn't have been there. There's no reason, but they saw the sign and they were drawn in. The shepherds, society's outcasts, shouldn't have been there. But the angels came and they found them and they drew them in. But what we don't see is we don't see the teachers of the law. We don't see the Pharisees. We don't see the men and, and who spent their lives studying the coming of Christ. We don't see the chief priests or lawmakers. We don't see anyone, even though many theologians believe that the hub was only about four mile, four, uh, a four-hour walk for many of them. They could have just easily walked in just a few hours to find Jesus, and yet they didn't show up. There's no story of the chief priests coming in. What we find is that people missed out on the opportunity. They knew, 
They just didn't go experience. And a lot of us can know about Jesus without actually experiencing Jesus. And I actually think it's a common problem, uh, probably a major problem in the context of environments like this, churches, people who gather in Jesus' name. We know a lot about Jesus, but we haven't actually experienced Jesus. The love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the peace and the joy. We can know without actually going to the effort to find Jesus. That those entrusted with the message of Jesus uh, weren't present, but here the wise men traveled over 900 miles. That so many of us miss what God is trying to do in our lives this season. Because we know all about it. Oh, I've heard this before. Oh, I've read that before. I've heard the song. I've studied that. I know. But we haven't actually experienced. See, a lot of us miss signs. We miss signs all the time. You're on your phone, you blow a stop sign, you go into the wrong bathroom, whatever. Like, we miss signs because we have so many signs that lead and guide us. It's easy for us to miss them and take a wrong exit or whatever. They can be easy to miss if we're not paying attention. And some of us this season, we're just not paying attention. We walk into a room like this and we go, oh, yeah, I should be paying more attention to the needs of others this season. Or I should be paying more attention to what God is saying to me this season. Uh, and then we leave and we forget. And we go back into our routine of Whatever we need to do, checking things off our list and accomplishing tasks and rush and hurry and busy. Some of us were just missing what God's trying to say and what God's trying to do. Others of us miss because we've become so familiar with the signs that we simply bypass them over. A lot of us have become so familiar with the story of Jesus and uh, the season that we lose sight of, of what's happening. I mean, I've got some older kids this year, and it's the first time, uh, maybe last year a little, but this is the first time where I've really kind of seen, like, there's just no, like, real excitement, except for my youngest. There's no real, like, my boys are just way too cool for Christmas. Like, they're going to be pumped to open presents, but they're not, like, looking forward to watching the elf with me or something. You know, like, there's just a little bit more cynical, a little more jaded. I get it. The idea, though, is we get this way about the gospel so often. We become too cool for leaning in. We just... I've been here before so many years that we go, wow, it's just another season. God says, no, I want to meet you in this season. See, the one sign that we cannot miss is the sign that God has sent for you so that you won't go racing through life, missing out on what brings you to life. That I don't want us to miss what God wants to do, that for so many of us we've become too familiar that we no longer recognize. That God's leading us to joy. That there's a star in the sky, but we haven't been watching the sky, and so we don't see that. And so we're not led towards that. We're missing all the signs, and when we find the source of our joy, the natural response is for us to give. And in Matthew 2.11, it says, entering the house, the Magi saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these seem like typical elements in the story of Jesus, even though, you know, we don't really understand two of them, but they feel like, well, yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? I heard that in the song and on and on, but this is what's of highest value to these guys. They brought what was of highest value to them. These were high-priced elements. This was the best that they could bring, and, and what is of highest value to you this season? What are we going to present to God this season? Are we going to bring our time, our money, our love, our faithfulness, our compassion, our grace, our mercy? What are we surrendering over to God? What are we laying down at his feet? Because what I know is that Jesus is simply asking for one thing. He's asking for our life. Can we give him our lives this season as the greatest gift that we have? We hold so tightly to our life because we value it so much. 
And yet God keeps inviting us into realizing our life is meant to be lived for others. To be surrendered and sacrificed to him. And maybe you're here and you've given your life to Christ. You've experienced love and joy and peace found in him. Well, then you become the sign to others. You now become the star in the sky that points people to Christ that so many of us, probably most if not all of us in this room, we're not looking for a sign anymore. We found it. We are the sign. And we don't see our lives as such. We don't see our lives as the the star in the sky that's pointing that random stranger at a coffee shop or at a grocery store, the people we pass, uh, or maybe the person that honks at you because you didn't go fast enough at the stoplight. Like We are a sign now to say this is what love looks like. This is what peace looks like. This is what grace and mercy looks like. Not because we're perfect, but because we've been walking with Christ. We become the sign that points people to something deeper. In this season, everybody's looking. They're all looking. As you drive through the city, you can't help but find people with manger scenes in the yard. You can't help but turn on Christmas music and hear songs of Jesus. Even people who want nothing to do with Jesus are inundated within this season. And I love it. I love that it's being uh, just heaped on people where we can't escape. We cannot, as hard as society tries, we cannot separate Christmas from Jesus. And yet, you and I step into this moment and we become the Jesus that people are looking for. We get to be the Jesus that they're looking for. We get to be the love and the grace and the compassion and mercy, love and joy and peace. And we bring this. We become the star to help others see the reality that there is joy found in Christ. But in Nehemiah 8, it says, do not grieve. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, what I know about us is we probably want to be the sign. We want to be the catalyst for change in people's lives. We want to be the star that points people to Jesus. But we're weary. A lot of us are worn down. It's been a particularly difficult year, and we're going through some things, and, 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 and we're just tired. And a lot of us are kind of starting to check out. It's the end of the year. It's senioritis. We're just like, well, I'll just start next year with my New Year's resolution. And God's saying, no, it's not time to slow down or stop. It's time to find renewed strength in me. It's time to find renewed strength in the joy of the Lord. That we don't have to be worn out or too weary. That we can actually lean on Christ and allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And so we have to do whatever it takes to get close to God. We have to do whatever it takes to get close to the source of joy that Christmas is a challenge as well as a promise. The challenge is that if you need joy, you've got to go find Christ. The promise is if you find Christ, you find joy. You find peace. You find hope. You find love. You find what it is that you need. That nothing that we need can be found anywhere other than Jesus. So today, will you surrender your life? Will you bring what is of highest of value to you? And allow God to wash over you with the joy of the Lord. May it be your strength. See, I think some of us are trying to manufacture joy in our homes to try to get through the season. God's saying, you don't have to. The joy of the Lord ends up being your strength. Allow him to come in and permeate your homes. Point your family to Jesus. Point them to Christ and what he's done for you. And watch how the joy in your home begins to elevate joy of the Lord is your strength. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. God, we come before you today. 
And we celebrate this beautiful season. We're so grateful that you brought your son Jesus into this world. We're so grateful that he is wonderful. And there are some of us in this room, we, we need some wonder this holiday season. So God, I pray that you bring wonder and joy into all of our homes this Christmas season. I pray that this week be full of joy and, and wonder and laughter and praise. Father, we thank you that your son Jesus walked among us for 33 years and he gave us a strategy for a life of beauty. So God, help us to see your strategy for our life. That there are those of us here that need a little strategy. Some of us, we need wisdom and guidance, so we invite the Holy Spirit into our life and into our homes to be our guide and our counsel and our comforts. Father, you describe Jesus as a mighty God, a warrior who stands before us. So I pray right now that every crisis and disease and pain represented in this room be met with healing. That this season we find the healing that we need. I pray that you break every stronghold in our lives. That you go before us as a mighty warrior and you prepare the way for us. God, you're described as the everlasting Father, so I pray that you show yourself as the Father to the fatherless this season. I pray that you bring comfort and safety and unconditional love into our homes. I pray that you, God, that you are our Father and that you redefine the word fatherhood for all of us men. I pray that every man in this room would redefine, be redefined and, and look to you as our example, that you give us strength to be the men that you've called us to be. Father, you're the Prince of Peace. So I pray that you give us peace in every situation. I pray that you bring peace into our households. That everywhere our feet go, we bring peace with us. And I pray you calm the storms in our life. So Father, we thank you. We're so grateful for your life and the life that we have in you. And so I pray now an extraordinary blessing on every single household represented here, that each house will be full of love and of life. I pray that this be the best season of all. That every time we see a sign, may we be reminded of your son Jesus and the things that we have in him. So Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.